<clears throat> Good morning, everyone. If you're taking notes, you could jot down the title, The Epic Battle of the Ages. Just exactly what our brother prayed to open our meeting. As much as ever before in my life, uh, it's obvious that today is a day of spiritual battle. I don't say that lightly, um, but as much as ever before in my life, it's obvious that today is a day of spiritual battle. And so um, we want to wage warfare accordingly. We want to not be ignorant of his devices. And so let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Father, before we even uh, read your word, we, um, through the eye of faith, we calm our hearts and we pause in the presence of our holy God. Father, someday we will see you face to face. Someday uh, we will worship with holy hands lifted high in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. And we will spend eternity in that place serving and fellowshipping and worshiping and reigning with him. Um, yeah, crazy and amazing. Father, today it's no less real, the presence of God. It's less tangible, but it's no less real. And so we delight in you. And we also, through the eye of faith, we want to take our shoes off right now. Yeah, please, 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 please. Um, through the eye of faith, I pray for every one of us, just like we read in your word, that we would take our shoes off and that we would recognize that we are in the presence of a holy God. Your people, once upon a time, they trembled with fear in the presence of that holy God. If we're smart this morning, we will tremble with fear in the presence of our holy God. Today is, is a spiritual battle. We acknowledge that in your presence, and yet I feel no fear in my heart. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We ask that the Jerichos of our day, the Jerichos that are in this circle this morning, we ask that those Jerichos would fall, and we ask that through the recordings they would fall as well. Please have your way, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, amen. So the epic battle of the ages. We're going to see an example of it um, in the Word of God, and we're going to be reminded pictorially by a historical narrative that we are living in the epic battle of the ages. Um, I mentioned earlier in the week that Pharaoh, uh, he's referred to as Pharaoh, he's referred to as the king of Egypt, that pictorially he is a great picture of Satan. And, um, and so we have two points today in the message. Uh, point number one is Satan's strategy, and point number two is God's dominance. Now, so that you take heart through the message, please know at the very beginning, by leadership of the Lord, we're going to spend more time on point number one than we will on point number two. And so that's by design, that's by intent. Um, but we're going to look at this next portion of Exodus, and we're going to begin by observing the tactics of Pharaoh. And again, pictorially, we're going to learn about the strategies of Satan. So the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, we are not ignorant of his devices. I read that many, many years ago. 
was asked to speak on spiritual warfare at a conference, and I thought, what do I know about spiritual warfare? And like I would still say, what do I know about spiritual warfare? Um, but, but if you're going to speak on the subject, like you have to dig into it, right? And I came across that verse, we are not ignorant of his devices, and I thought, yes, I am. Um, and, and so I was just digging as much as I could in preparing. You never really feel fully prepared, but you prepare as much as you possibly can uh, before the conference comes. Um, Satan's strategy. So Isaiah 14 teaches us about Satan. Uh, Ezekiel 28 teaches us about Satan. I would throw out there that um, one servant of God in the past said there is no proper systematic theology without proper Satanology. And it probably is a hole in most of our systematic theologies in our thinking. And so I would like to encourage us to be well-rounded, not for the purpose of, of giving Satan more attention, but for the purpose of not being ignorant of his devices and understanding the battle that we're in. And so I'll, I'll recommend, of course, God's word. Um, he tells us everything we need for life and godliness. One book I'll throw out there and recommend is Erwin Lutzer, The Serpent of Paradise. Tremendous book. And as you read it, I almost guarantee you that you'll be, that you'll be so thankful. In fact, I really feel confident that if you read it carefully, prayerfully, you'll be so thankful. And the result will be you'll end up standing in awe of the glory of God. Right. And in the focus, the subject is Satan. And yet it ends up just he, he's a tool in the hand of God that God uses for his glory, just like you and me, which is amazing because he's so from our perspective, he's wise and he knows the word of God and he has a certain amount of power and he's clever. Right. And he's he's diametrically opposed to God. And yet it, it, we said it earlier in the week, it must be incredibly frustrating to be Satan because everything he does ends up reflecting on the glory of God and just showing off the glory of God more, which is amazing. And someday he'll be, um, he'll be put away with. He's called the God of this world. So, okay. Um, yeah, point number one, Satan's strategy. Exodus chapter five, if you would. Exodus chapter five. We are going to look at a decent number of scriptures today. And, um, yeah, I suppose unapologetically, uh, Lord, help us. So Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Notice what God wants. What God wants is the people to be, to be free to worship him. Um, what Pharaoh says is, you're too idle. So verse 18, therefore, go now and work. For no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. So letter A, under point number one. Uh, under Satan's strategy is this. Keep them too busy with work to worship God. By the way, as we go through this, you're going you're gonna to notice, like, this is super simple. This is super straightforward, right? And yet it's, it's devastatingly life-altering if we're honest and humble in the presence of a holy God this morning. So keep them too busy with work to worship. So let's say a couple things here. Um, first of all, we, of course, affirm the fact 
that the New Testament view of work is overwhelmingly positive, right? Jesus Christ was a hard worker. The Apostle Paul was a hard worker. You can make a case biblically that Paul at times was working six days a week and then preaching on Sundays, right? There's no excuse. Like the grace of God should turn us into very hard workers. The New Testament says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Like, so we affirm the fact that the New Testament view of work is overwhelmingly positive, right? So this is not identifying, like it's not saying work is bad. It's saying being too busy with work in order to fulfill God's command, that's bad. Yeah. Like the proverb would say, don't overwork to gain riches. And so we agree with that, right? Yeah. You know, the great test, in my mind, the great test that we ought to apply to this um, is is how does my current lifestyle with work and service for God, right? How does my current lifestyle, I don't like the way I said that. Um, in Colossians chapter 3, speaking of the workplace, it says, you shall serve the Lord Christ. Yeah, so I need to learn a better way to say that because we, we serve God by going to work and we serve God by doing other things too. There's no division between secular and sacred. And if any of us think that there's a division, oh, this is serving God, oh, this is just a waste, right? That's an immature thought. That's a less than biblical thought, right? So I need to learn and mature in the way I'm saying that. Um, but but what, I, what, I want, what I want to say is... Um, My mind went blank. Okay, uh, several scriptures that, that um, will speak to this. Um, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's Titus. Um, if you dig into those words, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Um, worldly lusts means earthbound desires. So we need to deny, right, a lack of Christ-likeness. It's in the Greek, it's awe godliness, like a lack of godliness. So we need to deny a lack of Christ-likeness and then also earthbound desires that we might live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The word soberly is sophron in the Greek. It means to reserve your mind for that which is important. And so again, that's, that, that's New Testament doctrine that would speak into the Old Testament picture, right? Satan would keep the people of God too busy with work um, to worship God. And this is what I forgot. The great test that we need to evaluate it is how does, how does God look at my work ratio? Um, and the, the ultimate test is when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ someday, um, my current habits of my life, like what I have accepted as normative American Christianity, how does that play in the presence of Jesus Christ. Like when, when he looks at me and says, I gave you 79 years, tell me what you did with it. Like, so my current life, right? How does that look in the presence of God? And if, you're, if you are a clear conscience with Paul, like if you could say, I know of nothing in myself, then praise God, right? Keep on. You go to work and you, you serve the Lord Christ, Colossians 3. Um, yeah, but, but that's the test we must apply is how does it look at the judgment seat of Christ someday? So that's letter A, keep them too busy with work to worship. Um, Exodus chapter 8, this will be letter B. Exodus chapter 8. In verse number 25. Exodus chapter 8 in verse number 25. 
Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. Letter B is worship God, but stay in the world. Worship God, but stay in the world. Pharaoh's starting to negotiate and compromise here. Right, he said, go. Now, now, like, instead of being too busy to worship, he's saying, okay, like, you can worship, that's fine. But I want you to do it firmly rooted in the world. Yeah, James 4, again, New Testament doctrine, would say friendship with the world is enmity with God. One foot here, one foot here. Like, I'm so glad to be saved. Heaven sounds way better than hell. Yeah, and yet, and yet I'm unwilling to move this foot out of the world, right? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. He actually calls it spiritual adultery, cheating on God. Amazing. Um, yeah, so worship God, but stay in the land. Look at verse 28, same point. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. So in this passage, um, Pharaoh, the picture of Satan, he first says, just stay rooted right here in, in, in Egypt, which is such a picture of the world in Scripture. Um, and then his second compromise is just keep them as close to the world as possible. So I'm going to say this as a prayer request. Um, yeah, would you pray with me that that worldly affection would be radically dealt with by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God in the next generation. That we would be a people just completely, yeah, completely just dead, right? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself with, uh, for me. Um, I have a point of application that I would love for you to jot down, at least mentally take it in. Um, point of application based on what we're seeing. Is the world a foothold to you? And we're asking the Lord to, to answer this for us. Is the world a foothold to you? Like, Or is it the same things that will delight your heart in 300 years? Is that what delights your heart now? The same things you'll be living for in 300 years. Is that what you're living for now? Investing in. Spending your time on. Or um, could you say with the Apostle Paul, with a true, honest conscience, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. I have no earthly ambition. I don't care about any of it. What I care about is Christ's agenda. I love that statement of Paul. The world is crucified to me. I put the entire world on the cross. And then I'm crucified to the world. Like I put me on a cross. That's Paul's mindset. God help us. Yeah, okay, letter C. This is the one that woke me up early this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10 and verse number 8. Exodus chapter 10 and verse number 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord, your God. Who are the ones that are going? Right. So now he's, he's compromising more. Moses said, We will go with our young 
and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men. Letter C, Satan's strategy, is to divide God's people. Some of you can go, right? That's fine. But some of you have to stay in the world. So that's fine. Men, you go, right? You go. But, but the younger, the older, they have to stay. Divide God's people. I woke up earlier than I intended to, earlier than I wanted to this morning. Um, and I, I actually tried to go back to sleep. And then I, and then I just realized in the presence of God that I, that I can't. Uh, Satan is as a roaring lion uh, ro- roaming around seeking whom he may devour. And, um, and this is one of his great tactics that, that he is somewhat successfully trying to pull off right now as we speak. And that is to divide, to divide God's people. Um, yeah, now I am going to uh, read a number of scriptures here. And I'm going to trust the Lord to use these. Um, yeah, if you're taking notes, just jot these down and please just let me read these. Uh, Psalm 133 says this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then I'm skipping ahead. For there the Lord commands the blessing. So as we move, home, as we move on in this generation um, from Yosemite this year, do we want the Lord's blessing? Yeah, we better, we better, uh, we better let the Lord create and let the Lord keep and submit ourselves to to biblical unity. Yeah, if we want the blessing, um, John fifteen. Yeah, again, you can turn if you want, but I'm I'm trying to be efficient with our time, and so I'm going to read it to us. Uh, he says this. Um, this is my commandment, verse 12, John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Commanded to be unified, commanded to be loving. If we went to Ephesians 3, it would say rooted and grounded in love. Our definition for the next 60 years, the next generation, 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, whatever. Um, the next, the, our definition of being a solid brother for the next, the next uh, solid brother, solid sister, uh, sister, solid Christian, solid New Testament soldier of Jesus Christ. Our definition must be knows doctrine and unwaveringly stands on the truth of the word of God. As loving as Christ, right? As I have loved you. This is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you. Right? Again, Ephesians 3, rooted and grounded in love, right? Faithful lifestyle of being poured out to the Lord. Like that has to be our definition of, of what it means to be solid moving forward. Yes, unified, loving. Now, please, please, please see the heart of Jesus Christ. John 17, and it says this, I do not, verse 20, if you're taking notes, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So much of reading the scripture is reading other people's mail, 
right? In fact, you can kind of say about the whole of Scripture that like you're reading someone else's mail, right? And so much of it is appropriate interpretation and application. This, this passage, he is praying specifically for every believer that is sitting around here this morning. Amen? Right? I mean, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you father are in me and i in you that they may also be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me is it important that the world in the next generation believes that god sent jesus christ then we better we better um let the lord have his way of unity in our lives um ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4, like what's it going to take? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all humility, that's what it's going to take. With all humility and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. I'm going to stop there. Um, the word endeavoring in the Greek, it means to strive or to be earnest. This is the exhortation of the authoritative word of God to you and I, believers, followers of Christ. This is the exhortation of the authoritative word of God to you and I. You need to strive for unity. The unity of the body doctrinally exists. right? That was created right at the cross. The unity of the body of Christ, or you could say at Pentecost, the birthday of the church. And then 1 Corinthians 12, when we're saved, we are baptized into the body of Christ. In other words, you are taken from a lost place and you are taken from that place by the Holy Spirit of God and you are placed into the body of Christ. And therefore, the unity of the body exists and you are not strong enough to take yourself out of the unity of the body. That's eternal security. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that's what the New Testament exhorts you and I to keep. Can we agree together and can we pray together that we will take unity as seriously as Jesus Christ takes unity in the next generation? I see, I see in every corner of North America um, leaders that this is their heart. Their heart is humility and their heart is unity. Like enough spending decades of our life sitting around debating theological subtleties like enough criticizing each other for whether or not we have a drum set in our chapel right things that are not doctrinal pillars like enough enough like labeling names right yeah i see in every corner of north america leaders that are humble and leaders that want to go forward under the banner of Christ, taking what he prayed for when he was talking to the Father in John 17, taking what he prayed for as seriously by grace as the Lord Jesus does, and seeking after the blessing that, that accompanies that kind of unity. So uh, let's be honest and humble in the presence of God. Search me, O God is our prayer this morning. Um, what is it in me personally that needs to change? 
I was hidden away with some brothers in Northern Ireland. Um, we were praying for a couple of days and we prayed through John 15 and uh, we came across that verse that I read. This is my commandment that you love one another. And the spirit of God just stabbed me um, in the side. And I realized that I had been selectively loving. Like some of God's people were really fun to love. Yeah. And I really enjoyed loving them. And then other people, I just did, I had kind of over time, I just didn't enjoy loving them nearly so much. And so I, I just, there's a lot of God's people, right? So it's very easy. Like you just kind of gravitate toward the ones that you enjoy loving and kind of gravitate away from the ones you don't enjoy loving. And, um, and it was just devastating in that moment that I realized in the presence of God um, how utterly unchristlike that my version of love was. And that I desperately needed the Lord to forgive me and change me to, be, to love like Christ. That's exactly what the verse says, right? As I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. What is it that needs to change in us? Um, years ago, uh, there were three of us that were preaching on revival at the Southwest or Southeast Workers and Elders Conference. And um, we got several days into the conference and there was an older gentleman. By the way, I love it when older gentlemen are malleable in the hands of God. I love that. I love that. I love it when spiritual leaders lead spiritually and humbly. I love that. So this older gentleman, um, during a prayer time, he came down the center aisle and out loud, he just started saying out loud, I can't wait anymore. I can't wait anymore. I can't wait anymore. I was going to try to wait till the end of the conference, but I can't wait anymore. I must confess. I must ask for your forgiveness. And he comes down the center aisle and he looks at this brother over here and he says, I have harbored bitterness against you for years. Would you please forgive me? And then he looked at this brother and he said basically the same thing with different words and said, would you please forgive me? I cannot stay in this carnal state for one more second. Would you please forgive me? Boy, that gave birth to an awesome time of prayer. There are strongholds in this circle this morning that... that um, Either we will allow the Lord in his word to rebuke us and to correct us, or we will say no to God. Oh, I'm scared for you if you say no to God. Some people walked into the circle this morning. You've been grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit of God for a long time. And the Lord is gracious and the Lord is patient. The Lord is kind. Like he'll let you choose second best or third best or tenth best. He's a perfect gentleman. But I want to call you to a decision point this morning. And the decision point is simple. You will either say yes to God and you will allow him to humble you and show you your sin and you will confess it and forsake it. Right? He who covers his sins will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. You will either confess it and forsake it or you will say no to God. Those are your only choices. This isn't everybody, but this is some of you this morning. I call you to a point of decision in the presence of God this day, based on the authority of the word of God. So that's individual. Uh, marriages, it's the same thing. Will we let the word of God shine on our brokenness? 
Will we confess it and forsake it and find mercy? Will we let the Lord bring beauty out of ashes? That's his desire. That's his promise. Will we say enough stupidity? I don't like calling other people stupid. I don't like calling other people's actions stupid. I I have no problem calling myself that, right? Like when we hold out in sin. Oh, so stupid. When When we won't let the Lord's healing balm pour over us, like Psalm 133 talks about. Will we tremble in the presence of God and let him heal our marriages this morning that need to be healed? Um, Churches. Will you let the Holy Spirit speak to you and show you? Paul's prayer was for spiritual wisdom and discernment. One being general, the revelation of the word of God. The other being specific. Those that are led by the Spirit. His Spirit witnesses to our spirit. Right, that will you let the Spirit of God speak to you and show you um, what needs to happen just in you, right? But on the local church level, and then continent wide, um, Satan is doing everything he can in this realm, continent wide. I can see it as clear as I can see you. One of his tactics is to try to divide God's people. If we let him do this, continent wide then we will be a compromised people in the next generation. We'll be partially empowered as opposed to filled with all the fullness of God, Ephesians chapter 3. We have attitudes that, that Satan delights in, and we need to let the Holy Spirit of God show us those attitudes, right? Like so many of us, Um, we're unaware and so we need to ask the lord search me O god and we need to ask the lord beg him to teach us right john 16 he will guide us into all truth show us the attitudes that are that are that are so helpful to satan in his agenda of being divisive like religious pride show us religious pride show us every evil face of the flesh Jabe Nicholson um, at the National Workers and Elders Conference, he gave a message that I think was worldview changing. David Dixon was there. Um, do you remember his message on unity? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, I'd never heard anybody go through that passage like that. And I haven't made it back to go through it again yet, but I must, like I must go through that again. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really, and I mean it literally, it's worldview changing. Like the way we go forward under Christ's banner like what accepting and receiving what he accepts and receiving receives and then rejecting of course everything that's false i mean god help us right god help us that is such an earnest prayer god help us to hold to everything that's real in a coming day but then to reject the things that need to be rejected so let me end point c or not point C, um, letter C, with this. Um, on behalf of, of the living God and whose authority um, we all acknowledge, and on behalf of the word of God, um, I call us this day to tremble in the presence of God and to let him have, us, have his way in us.
And I know that that's overwhelmingly the heart in this circle. I delight in that. But I call us to take as seriously the holiness of God as we see later in Exodus when they just shook with fear before this God of holiness that could make the mountains shake with his very presence. Yeah, Lord have his way with us today. Okay, Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, and um, this will be letter D, verse number 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Letter D is, is um, go worship God, but keep your treasures in, in the world. Yeah, of course, New Testament teaching um, would be where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if you allow in any way these little footholds of treasures being here, then your heart is going to be here also. Luke 14 gives an incredibly high standard. No one can be my disciple unless he forsakes all and follows me. Incredibly high standard, right? So yes, go worship God, right? Go serve God, but keep your treasures here. That's such a trap. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. A different song. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Scripture is pretty clear about this, really clear, absolutely clear. Everything gets put on the altar. And then some of it, the Lord uh, trusts, trusts you to keep and manage for his glory. And then some of it, he trusts to be poured out for his glory. Yeah, God help us. Okay, Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 38. Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 38. A mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. Uh, Satan's final strategy that we're going to notice, this is letter E, is um, let's just have the world join them. So you end up becoming a mixed multitude. waters down and compromises the effectiveness, the purity. First Corinthians would say that you may be a pure lump. Black spots in your Lord's Supper. That would be sin, of course, right? Sin represented. So, Keep them too busy with work to worship. Worship God, but stay in the world. Divide God's people. Keep your treasures here and join them. So let's ask, how is, how is Satan doing? Can we recognize his hand in the church of our generation? Yeah. Will we let the Lord um, purify us, revive us? Will we ask him, revive us? If Jesus Christ physically came down and looked at me and said, you can ask for one thing, like right now in this moment, um, 
I know that I would be massively overwhelmed and probably unable to speak. But, but if by the grace of God I could actually speak in his presence, I would just say, um, make the next generation holy for you. By your power, by your leadership, by your vision, by your sanctification, make the next generation a generation that will go forward under your banner and see the victories of God, that you would get every drop of glory that you deserve in the next generation as you lead us forward. Yeah. Okay, point two. Point two in the outline is God's dominance. God's dominance. So we looked at Satan's strategy, and now we're going to, obviously more briefly, we're going to look at God's dominance. Let's start with Exodus chapter 12, which is where we are, and look at verse number 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. <laughs> this is so good, isn't it? Against all the gods of Egypt, he says, verse 12, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. You see the rippling of omnipotent muscle in this section of Scripture in, in a massively beautiful way. Yeah. So great. So great. He's going to assassinate systematically all of the gods of Egypt. This should give us such joy and such confidence today as the people of God. Yeah, so good. Uh, we can draw from this that the living God hates idolatry. Anything that stands in the way of complete submission to God is an idol that must be put away. He's going to, and we'll talk about this in just a second, he's going to systematically go through the gods of Egypt and show that they have no power to stand against him. Yeah, he's El Elyon, the Most High God, the Living God, the God of the armies, all-powerful, the one true great and awesome God of the heavens, and he's going to show himself to be that. Um, there's a guy named BJ. I, I'm trying to not say his last name. Like, these are real people, right? And um, uh, he was a football player. He's a really good football player in a rival high school um, in, in my high school years. And um, this is so foolish, right? But he, let, he, he was asked by a reporter about the coming game against us on Friday. And he said to the reporter what they planned to do to us on that Friday. My coach in those years, he's in the high school hall of fame. Um, he's a, he was amazing. He was not a humble man, but he was a good football coach. And um, anyways, he read that to all of us, and I think probably way more than I would be happy with, we were not necessarily a humble football team, um, but we were good. <laughs> and so he read that to us, and, um, and I can still picture this like it was yesterday. We kicked off first, right? So knowing what this guy, and he was good. He was as good as any player on our team, right? But we just had more of a team than he did. Um, anyways, uh, we kicked off to him. He received it. And I remember thinking, sweet, right? There were two guys back there. 
And um, he received it. And as we were running down the field, um, we, we just went down. And our, our football coach said, you hit that guy as hard as you can from the first play. And um, so three of us hit him at the same time. And I remember him spinning like this in the air. And as he was spinning through the air, he, he fumbled the ball. So first play of the game, um, first play of the game, he, uh, he received it. He got pummeled. He fumbled. We recovered. And then we went on to just pound and pound and pound and pound for the next four quarters. And my point is simple. I love to win. <laughs> I hated to lose, right? Right? I hated to lose. I walked into um, Scotch Fabric Cleaners um, before we moved to California, just a couple months. And BJ was there, right? He was picking up his dry cleaning. I was picking up my dry cleaning. And I smiled at him. And I said, BJ, and I said his last name. And he looked at me and he smiled. And, and I stuck out my hand and introduced myself. He was good enough that, that I knew who he was. I wasn't good enough that he knew who I was. Um, but I said, we played football against each other in high school. And he said, where did you go to school? And I said, Washburn Rural High School. And he said, you guys beat the bleep out of us. <laughs> and in my heart, I was like. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, there's so much pride in what I'm talking about, right? But, but anyways, my point is, there's also an aspect of that's normal, natural, healthy, where, where it's okay, like, to love to win. Like, that's okay, right? And what we're going to talk about, just very briefly, through this section of Scripture for point two, is the fact that God flexes. Like, in this passage, I will glorify my name. I will not share my glory with another. I am the Lord. On the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Like, that is such powerful statements. In Exodus chapter 14, the Lord is a man of war the lord is his name like it's such a section of dominance in the scripture and boy it ought to make us delight in our god now i'm going to move through this quickly uh, those of you that are rabid note takers forgive me um, because i'm going to move through this somewhat quickly trying to be a good steward of the time that god has given and so so 10 plagues this is the systematic assassination of the gods of egypt so 7 14 through 25 um, is turning the nile to blood the egyptian gods of apis is that he's the bull god of the nile and then isis is the goddess of the nile those gods had no power against jehovah to do anything about him turning the the water to blood Right? And so he systematically shows your gods cannot do anything about this. Now, if you know the story, right, Pharaoh brought out his guys and they imitated God. And so, again, we can learn about Satan, that Satan has some power. It's so tiny compared to the power, the infinite power of God. But he does have some power and he's called the God of this world. Who blinds people's eyes from the truth. So Satan has some power, and he's an imitator. He's a deceiver. He will do everything in his power to make it look like he has more power than he actually does. But we know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, and darkness flees at the presence of the light. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah, what a privilege to go through life knowing that God has never lost. He never will lose. We go through guaranteed a victory, and we march under the banner of Christ forward, being guaranteed the victories of God in the next generation. Amen? 
Yeah, what a way to go forward. Okay, so that's two of the gods. Um, eight, one through 15, the frogs, right? The goddess Heket um, is a fertility goddess, and the frog is sacred to the goddess Heket. And she had no power to stand against um, Jehovah commanding the frogs to totally, um, totally saturate the land of Egypt. Again, uh, Pharaoh marches his people out and they copy this. And so we again learn that, that Satan has power. Um, 8, 16 through 18, lice. This is plague number three. The god Set is the desert god. His job was to protect the land from the invasion of insects. And he could do nothing against Jehovah, the Hebrew god. He could do nothing to protect from lice being everywhere. Um, in this section, it uses the phrase, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh marches his people out, and they're like, we can't do it. That's so good for us, isn't it? Yeah, like Satan can imitate. Satan has some power. Satan can imitate. Satan has some power. Plague number three, this is the finger of God. They couldn't do it. They couldn't keep up. Right, So Satan has this much power. It's actually literally infinitely less power than an an all-powerful infinite God. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, this is the finger of God. Um, 820 to 32, flies. So so, um, Ray, it's actually written R-E, but it's pronounced Ray. The God Ray, he's the sun God. He was represented by the fly. God begins to make a distinction. And... um, and uh, the, Lord, the Lord sends flies on the Egyptians, but his people are separated. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to move super quickly. Um, diseased livestock um, is 9, 1 through 7. The, god, the goddess Hathor is a goddess with a cow's head. And then Apis is the bull god. They could not protect. They had no power against Jehovah. Um, next one is boils. The goddess Seket had power over disease, but was completely powerless against Jehovah. Even the magicians that were imitating God's power had boils. It specifically says that. And then it also says that all of the Egyptians. So Pharaoh was sitting there with boils. The magicians were sitting there with boils. Yeah. I think for the sake of time, like I'm just going to say, hail, thunder, lightning, the goddess Nut uh, is the sky goddess, could do nothing to prevent God's judgment from going through her territory. Osiris was the go- god, of, god of crops and fertility, um, could not protect um, crops. Um, Locus, the, 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 um, oh, the same ones, Nut and Osiris. Darkness, um, the god Ray, the sun god, could not break through the power of Jehovah. Um, Horus is another sun god of Egypt could do nothing against God. And then finally, the death of the firstborn. So this is the culmination, right, that we're kind of driving at. Pharaoh was considered a God by his people. His son was considered God by his people. And finally, the God who chapters ago said, let my son go. Israel is my firstborn. Let my son go. If you do not, I will kill your son. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. So ultimately, he makes good on that. And the last God that is, that is assassinated in Egypt by the Hebrew God is the firstborn son of the sitting deity in Egypt. So no God in Egypt can stand up against the Hebrew God. So let me, let me just end um, this way. Numbers chapter 33 in verse 4. 
For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Yeah. So, two points to notice today. Uh, Point number one, Satan's strategy. Point number two, God's dominance. Um, Yeah, let's pray. Father, we lay this at your feet. Um, we, We trust that you will use the word of God how you want. We ask that you would use the word of God in a irrevocable way in our lives this morning. We pray that we will go forward in the next generation with as radical a confidence and belief in our God as proper theology would mandate. Please work with us. uh, Reveal our unbelief. Yeah, we commit ourselves to you today. Um, Also, and I know I'm getting a few minutes ahead of myself, but please do help Micaiah. Thank you uh, for your servant. Please help him today. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen.